0: Every year, just after Christmas, we start getting bombarded with the reminder about New Year's resolutions and how we should commit afresh to being better people who try new things and the like. And and of course, that's all well and good and you're free to make New Year's resolutions as you wish. And yet, I mean, the thing is... Do we not all know that we tend to make those same resolutions year after year? You know, eat better, exercise frequently, read more, see new places, take on a new hobby, so on and so forth. It, and we tend to come back to the same ones every January. And about a month, and the reason we have to come back to them is because at about a month in, we typically have cast aside those resolutions, and we get caught back up in the busyness of ordinary life that did not change, just because the calendar did. And what we what we need to realize in light of that is that the the reason we fail to persevere in those resolutions is because we really don't have the power. To fulfill all those things we resolve to do. Shocking, shockingly, I mean, isn't it striking that we cannot even fulfill our commitments to the rules and resolves that we set for ourselves? I mean, we can set the bar as low as we want. And we still can't do it. And this inability, though, it only heightens when it comes to our endeavors to fulfill the law of God. And so, many of you were expecting that I might have a message for you today about renewing your commitment to spiritual practices and the like. I'm about to disappoint you. I actually want to make the opposite point, that you are totally unable to fulfill those things. You cannot complete your obligations to God. And I want to make the point that your efforts to be good will never suffice to earn God's favor. Instead, I want you to turn away from your own efforts at renewing your life and turn to Christ who perfectly cleanses us from every stain of sin before the throne of God and renews us in heart and mind to pursue Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we come in on this New Year's event, I want to look at our need for renewal and where we can find it. And the main thing I want you to take away from here this morning is your absolute need for Christ to make you new. Your absolute need for Christ to make you new. We'll see this in three points. The coming world, the current woe, and the covenant work. So first, the coming world. And let's dive into Hebrews 9 here to give you some sense of what's going on, because we are jumping into the ninth chapter. The book of Hebrews is predominantly about the preeminence of Christ. That's the running theme. The first few chapters of this letter are about Christ's supremacy as the eternal Son of God who surpasses even the glory and the greatness of angels. And then the author turns to explain how we share the same hope of an eternal promised land with the Old Testament people of God. And then around chapter 7 the book transitions to talk about Jesus as the premier high priest who is far better than the priests of the Old Testament because He is effective for removing our sins. And so we come to chapter 9, and we are right in the thick of this discussion about how Christ is the best high priest And Scripture here wants us to get what it is about Christ's priestly work that definitively switches the Old Testament ways of administering worship to the New Testament ways. Now, as you likely know, a priest is someone who goes before God on behalf of others. And here's the thing. When we look at the priests of the Old Testament, what do we find? What happens with all of them? We find that they worked endless hours repeating the same rituals of animal sacrifices that we read about in Leviticus 1. And yet, yet, the people of God were still booted out of the promised land by the Babylonians. And so what happened? Why why could that be? And the answer, I mean it is clear though. Is it is it not if you think, if you pause and think for just a minute, it's obvious. Everything those priests did was not actually able to bring about real forgiveness of all the people's sins. And so the blessings those earthly symbolic blessings of prosperity in the land, they were taken away to show them that all those external efforts to push them forward for God's commendation were useless. Totally useless. All of the longing for final security in the land of Israel came to naught because, in the end, the people of Israel were wicked sinners. And they continually broke the law of God and had no effective sacrifice. If we were to turn back, if we, if we had the time, if we were to turn back to Hebrews 4, or to look ahead to Hebrews 11, just let me encourage you to read those for yourself this afternoon. We would see from those texts that the people of God always looked forward to the heavenly world. The new creation. And the true believers among those people of God knew that the promised land in Palestine simply pointed forward to that new creation. It was a small foretaste of something bigger and better and yet to come. But since that new creation had not yet arrived, we have to conclude it was still future. Which, I think it puts Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 in new light, doesn't it? But, if you read with me, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once and for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So, I mean, do you see there that Christ appeared as the high priest of good things that have come? What's, what's that about? there. Well, those passages that I I referred to in Hebrews 3 and 4 and 11, they tell us about a place, a heavenly dwelling to come. And here we see that those those things that are in some sense still to come. In other ways, have come and been granted to us In Jesus Christ, he is the priest of good things that have come. Whereas all of the ongoing efforts of Israel to earn permanent tenure in the land failed because of their sin. Christ has earned not a wonderful earthly dwelling, but he has earned a perfect heavenly dwelling for us. And so, he enters the presence of God, that divine throne room, in order to plead our case as the one who has earned for us, earned, achieved for us citizenship in that new creation. And he has given us that citizenship now. He has not entered the, the, excuse me, the divine throne room in order to send Israel back to the land, but he has secured that perfect tent, the city with foundations, not one made with human hands, because those will pass away as if it is of this creation. He entered into heaven to plead our case, to have right to enter the new creation, the heavenly world to come. So Christ Christ set aside a thousand years of blood and animal sacrifices because for those thousand years they failed to bring about the new creation. And He offered Himself on the cross, pouring out His own blood so that He could intercede for us on the basis of that perfect and actually effective sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. The the coming world, the coming world is that new creation where heaven and earth will be united at the return of Christ, which Christ has now already earned for us by His righteous life and atoning sacrifice. But now I imagine you're you're thinking, well, it's all well and good. That Christ has offered this perfect sacrifice that surpasses animal offerings to earn heaven. But but why in the world should I think that I need this sacrifice? And that brings us to our second point, the current woe. And so what we've done so far is established that Christ is the high priest who achieved far more, infinitely more than the Old Testament priests ever could have by their external rituals. And he stands in the presence of God, preparing that new creation, a place for us in his eternal kingdom, so that he can deliver it to us when he returns. And now we turn to see why it is that we need that high priest who made an atoning sacrifice for us. I do think most people in the Western world would likely call themselves good people. And yet, they would also likely say that there are massive amounts of problems with the way the world's going. I mean, you'd probably agree with that, right? Not everything's the way it should be. And the obvious question there is, how did the world get that way? What put it in disorder? And the reason for asking that is, I do think that sometimes we forget that people have made the world the way that it is. People run cultures and governments. People move things about in the world, and create situations. Governments and cultures are not abstract forces disconnected from human efforts that do things to us. Governments and cultures are in fact the results of human efforts. So why is the world then not in good shape? Because people have made it that way. People have made the world disordered and not a great place. And if people put the world in a bad way, we have to ask ourselves if people are all that great. And some of you might be thinking that you agree that people out there, those people, the other ones, are not that great. But you're not those people and so I want to ask you are are you really do you really think you're the only exception to a world full of bad people? Because of course you're not. We we just get I mean the reason why we can think that way is we get really good at excusing ourselves and acting as though we must be better than someone out there. So I guess we must be good. And it's just not the case. Romans 1, 18 to 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Did you you notice, if you've got it open there, verse 22, that one way that people suppress the truth by their unrighteousness is convincing themselves they are wise. (laughs) And yet, in that so-called wisdom, they're fools. They're nothing but fools. No one likes the idea of condemnation. No one likes the thought Of God being angry with them. Especially no one likes the idea of. Eternal punishment. The fallen human reaction. Of wicked people is to. To reinvent the world. So that we don't need salvation. We push everything aside. We make it okay. And what if though. If we pause and look at our New Year's resolutions. I mean, the first thing I'd like to note is that I rarely hear resolutions. If I can't think of an example where I have, but there might be an exception. So I'm going to say rarely hear about resolutions that are along the lines of, I want to love my wife, my husband, my kids, my parents more or better. That's not usually the way resolutions go. I want to do better things for me. I want to look better. So first, I mean, our New Year's resolutions, our efforts are self-centered. No matter how noble they might be to change, they're a bit self-centered. And second... We, we tend to think the things that we actually need to have to be better people are things like a trimmer waistline and a fad diet or happy new hobbies. That's what'll fix us. Not that those are bad things to have. At the same time, the point still remains that we focus on our External works. But take a look at Hebrews 9. 12 to 14. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves. But by means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. And so we see here a stack of external rituals. And in fact, those Old Testament rituals of sacrifice were effective, verse 14, to purify the flesh, the outside. Scripture says, yes, all the rituals and ceremonies did work to sanctify, make holy a person's external aspects. But nobody ever made it into the heavenly kingdom because of those externals. Think of all the things we read in that first Old Testament reading, Leviticus 1, and we see that none of it worked. Ever. The blood of bulls and goats could not purify people in their conscience, their internal selves, it could not cleanse from sinfulness. And so are we doing anything different with our New Year's resolutions? Are you not building a new ceremonial system like that about which we read in Leviticus? Granted, the, the gym and The organic food section is a bit more sanitary than animal sacrifices. But are these not works meant to smooth out our external character while totally ignoring the root of the problem in our hearts? And so we see throughout Scripture that ignoring the heart, but pretending God loves us because of our outward merits, it only heightens our condemnation. And so the current woe is that we, can't, we cannot fix our problem. No amount of resolve or effort will correct the human deficiency. That deficiency is planted in the soil of our sinful hearts that love the darkness and love to reject the light of Christ. And that brings us to our third point, the covenant work. So we've seen that Christ has earned the coming world for us and stands in heaven to plead our case. We've also seen that the reason we need Christ is that we are detrimentally sinful and can do nothing of ourselves to overcome that. And now we need to see how it is that Christ applies that earning of heaven to us. We have seen that Christ earned the new creation for us, but we need to know how we can partake of those benefits. So read with me, will, if you will, verses 14 and 15. <coughs> Excuse me. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And so we see here that the reason that Christ secured life in the coming new creation was because his blood cleanses us as he offered himself through the eternal spirit and without blemish to god and and that offering purifies our conscience is from dead works the I mean I've got to pause and address this that that reference to the the eternal spirit through the eternal spirit is fascinating people have sort of turned over and over on what this is about cuz it is sort of thrown in there just almost seemingly for the sake of it and some people take this to be a clear distinction between Christ's divine nature. So remember Christ, the eternal son of God incarnate is two natures, divine nature, eternally God, and he assumed a human nature. And so some people take this to be about that distinction, clearly referencing the divine nature, which is eternal and spiritual. And on the other hand, distinguishing it from the human nature. And I mean, I find that really appealing because it's it's really theological and just be a clear cut way to go and almost just have that knock down proof text that just says it. Um, But I don't think that's what it means. Unfortunately, Um, I do think that this phrase is about, about the eternal spirit refers to other passages in scripture, like Isaiah 42 verse one. Which says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. So, so God promised in, in this passage and others like it that the person of the Holy Spirit would rest on the Savior of his people. And would ensure undeniably the effectiveness of his work. And I think that's what's going on in Hebrews 9. Because we read elsewhere. Uh, So the Gospels. For example, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so, Jesus, Son of God, had the Spirit of God, and He performed His sacrificial work further equipped with the eternal person of the Holy Spirit. And He offered Himself Christ offered Himself, gave Himself up for us on the cross without blemish because humanity needed a high priest who had no sin of His own. So God's people had long been served by priests that were sinners and their sacrifices purified only the flesh. But Jesus Christ... Offered himself as the inherently perfect and righteous sacrifice. And because sin required the death penalty. Christ did not owe that death for himself. But he paid it for us. So that we would not have to be eternally separated from God. Jesus works as the high priest actually purifies us. From all the sinful dead works we have done. And, they, and it makes us innocent in God's sight. Because His work was definitively effective. It secured the new covenant. Verse 15. No longer should we continue to attempt purification through any sacrificial ritual. But we should run to Christ. Christ who has ensured purification for us who would come to Him by faith. The covenant work of Christ was to earn and secure all the blessings God had ever offered to His people. Those blessings had to be obtained by perfectly righteous merit. And Christ lived the perfectly righteous life to earn heaven for us. And he died on the cross to wash away all of our infractions of God's law. And so what should we do with this? Your your application here is to realize, because I know what we're going to be talking about the next few days, your application is to realize that whatever resolutions you might make in the next few days they will not fix your ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is your rubbish heart. And even though your resolutions cannot do anything about that, Jesus Christ can fix it. He is the one to whom we have to go for renewal. He can give us new hearts and redeem us from the curse of the law. And so our fundamental resolution should be to run to Christ. Let's go to Him now, trusting Him for the forgiveness of our sins and the renewal of our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, we are disappointed in ourselves that no matter how hard we work and no matter what efforts we make, We will never be able to clean ourselves up. We will never be able to get our acts together. And we will never be able to make ourselves new. But we are so thankful that your Son, Jesus Christ, came, born under the law, born of a woman, to redeem us from the curse of the law and to give us the Spirit that we might become new. And so we are thankful today that there is the hope of renewal available to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray that in the midst of all the other commitments that we make, whatever ways we hope to improve ourselves in the next year, as good as they might be, help us not to depend on those for genuine renewal, but help our primary resolution to be to run to Jesus Christ. Trusting Him for the forgiveness of sins, the renewal of our minds, and the gift of the Spirit who can increase our endeavors to pursue holiness. And so we do pray that You would grant us stronger, deeper faith right now that we might trust in Christ, leaning on His work alone for our salvation. But also that You would grant to us that You would work in us now sanctification that we might more and more die to ourselves and live under righteousness. We pray this for your glory and in the name of Christ. Amen.